This is The Waycast is a podcast where we recap every Star Wars episode as it is released on Disney+. Plus. This is your spoiler alert, and you have been warned. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new season of This is The Waycast, where we are covering Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's finally here after so long. I'm Sarah Edwards, the resident Star Wars writer at Boardwalk Times. I'm Giovanni Delgadillo, a columnist at the Boardwalk Times. And we are going to be recapping both episodes, which dropped so early yesterday. We got a surprise last night, and Disney Plus said they were dropping the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi at 9 p.m. Pacific time. And oh, I I wish I didn't have to wake up early this morning because I would have absolutely stayed up and watched the first two episodes right there. Oh yeah, I rushed away from whatever I was doing just to see if I could get them early. I was like 20 minutes away from their drop and I was like, okay, I am dropping everything I'm doing just to get to them, so. And we've totally. been waiting so long for the Kenobi show. Like we've been waiting at least four years, five years. Yeah, it's been forever because <laughs> the official announcement was what, like three years ago now, but we've been waiting before even that. So yeah. Ewan had said he'd wanted to return for ages and then it wasn't anything official. And then when they finally like officially said something, it was like, oh my God, like, and, and the fact that he had been hiding it for years because they said that they had been planning to do it. But for me, the bigger surprise is Hayden coming back and uh, we still haven't seen much of him, but we will. We will. He's coming. He's coming. I just can't believe how much they gave us in those first two episodes. Like there was angst, there was emotion, there was tension, there was sick music. And I feel like we already know what the show is about. Whereas the past few shows, We've kind of been like, we're not really sure where they're heading. We're not sure what the storyline is. But with Kenobi, they, they hit the ground running. Like, we're already going. Yeah, in the first two episodes, they already kind of set up the plot. I'm kind of finding that some people are somehow confused because that, that flashback at the beginning uh, that shows Order 66, which, by the way, that's literally the first scene in the entire show is Order 66, and it's the first time I think we've ever seen the 501st clones wearing real armor and not CGI. So that was very impressive. Very cool to see before Andor comes out because that will also have uh, practical clone armor. Yeah. So that was really interesting. But people are confused because they're like, oh, why does Reva have so much like hate or something for Obi-Wan which obviously we don't know the plot reason yet like what her backstory is but we do know that she is one of those kids that was escaping and some people are somehow not getting that I was reading last night and I was like that's pretty obvious like they also kind of talk about it when the Grand Inquisitor is like um yeah. you're not really one of us like yeah. you kind of rose to your power but you're not really one of us yeah, so it it kind of was given away right there but it could also be that maybe people weren't paying as close attention as Order 66. Like, it took me a second to process that part. Because in the beginning, you know, I see the Jedi Temple and I was like, oh, no, we're going to have <laughs> sad girl hours with this scene. Of course. It, it was. It was. Sad. But it, I was actually really impressed. The lightsaber choreography was really cool, which I guess that's like a taste of things to come because they've talked about they did extensive training to kind of recreate the stuff from the prequels and how the stunt coordinators rewatch the prequels to see if they could find any signature moves that Anakin and Obi-Wan would have to reincorporate them here. So I'm excited to see that kind of stuff. And it looks like we get that teased in this little flashback because there's, there's a yeah. lot, there's a lot like watching Obi-Wan, uh, kind of cut his connection off to the force. I think this is the, second time we've seen that since uh luke did it in the last jedi so that was really cool the way they have him show oh and cal kestis as well because that, that's what i was about to get to the way they have him show it off in that the second episode was a little bit too reminiscent of jedi <laughs> fallen order yeah the, that's what i was thinking the whole time exactly was... like and it's funny because we're played. so used to obi-wan having such a strong connection to the force like mm -hmm. He goes around moving things with the force like it's nothing. 
And so to see him really struggle, especially in that second episode, just to keep Leia from hitting the ground, like that, that was a big, that was a big, like, oh, like a tense moment. It was kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but it was definitely just kind of like a, oh, he, he's not the big bad Jedi master he used to be. No, he isn't. And, and it was funny that he wasn't the one doing Jedi mind tricks uh, in these first two episodes. It was uh, Haja doing a little con job. That, that was funny. I like That was conning. amazing. But before but, we get yeah. ahead of ourselves, let's let's break down the first episode, which is I thought they were going to take more of a path of the book Kenobi that came out a few about I want to say it was like 10 years ago. Um, but that book basically follows Obi-Wan right after Order 66. He's just landed on Tatooine. And that's what I thought the show was going to be reminiscent of. But instead, this is 10 years later. So no content has really been no content about Obi-Wan at this point of Star Wars has really been created. Like all of the books about Obi-Wan start right after Order 66. Yeah, this this time period is very different than what I expected because it's it's pre-Rebels and pre-Rogue One and stuff. So it's like definitely the peak of the dark times as it's being labeled. What's interesting to me is Obi-Wan has to mention it every five everyone's like it's been 10 years it's been 10 years like oh then what was happening the other 10 years that you weren't saying it's been 10 years like hello so pretty interesting because that means a lot of these uh, inquisitors are relatively newish i know that the fifth brother is uh, in rebels and I loved him so yeah, much in live action. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. my gosh. Sun Kang I mean, is doing a great job. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And there's other Jedi as well. Uh, Benny Safdie, which completely threw me off guard. I was like, wait, yeah. that's Benny Safdie. Like, what, is, what are you doing here? But, yeah, he, he was playing the Jedi who is the one helping people in town because they try to throw you off as an audience member and be like "Ooh, is Obi-Wan helping people it's like no he's trying to just survive and honestly that part I found really interesting because the way they had set up his little story it made it seem like this was right after order 66 so when he finds Obi-Wan he's like hey man what are you doing here like you gotta help me we gotta team up it was kind of like it felt like this was so new to where he was still like freshly out of order 66. So that part was a little weird, but you know, he could have been looking for other Jedi for the past 10 years and, you know, decided to help out of town along the way. Yeah, exactly. And, and so now he tells Benny Safdie's character to go bury your, your lightsaber in the sand. Very uh, familiar. And uh, we do get a payoff to that later in the episode. So that was really cool. But yeah, it's interesting that he still has a lot of the tech from Revenge of the Sith. I really appreciated that. There's a lot of respect paid to the prequels, but specifically Revenge of the Sith in this. So, I mean, Revenge of the Sith was the first time we saw Alderaan. And now we get to see it way more in, in this episode. So... Yeah, Alderaan's finally having its moment in the sun. Like, most people only know Alderaan as the planet that gets blown up by the Death Star. We don't really know what kind of, like, climate it has, what technology it looks like. And it's such a gorgeous planet. I, I just love at how much of Leia we're actually getting. So as I was watching the first episode and seeing, you know, how Leia acted, it reminds me of, from a certain point of view of The Empire Strikes Back, there's one short story where it's Yoda meditating and he's saying like, I don't know why Obi-Wan is pushing for Luke to be the trained one. Leia is the strong one. Leia is the one who should be the Jedi of the two of them. And as I'm watching young Leia in this whole episode, the more I'm just like, Yoda was so right. Like nothing against Luke, but you know, Leia was stubborn and strong from the beginning. Like she schooled her cousin and homegirl's 10 years old. And uh, that whole scene was just beautiful. She is very much like her parents, like like a lot like her parents. And it's very in line with how Carrie Fisher played Leia in All the Way Back in A New Hope. Like, yeah, this is very Leia, like very diplomatic, very straight to the point. And I thought the casting was great. She's doing yes. a really good job. It's really funny. Like it's I was great. laughing. It's great because she 
she has like the delivery of Padme, but she has like the the quick-witted thinking of Anakin. Like she's the perfect mesh of both. And I mean, we even get to hear a little bit about that in the second episode, but we won't get to that just yet. So another thing that caught my eye in this first episode was the T-16 Skyhopper, the toy that Obi-Wan gifts to Luke. I'm so glad they added that detail. I don't, I think it was completely unnecessary, but it was such a fun thing to add. It, It gives that little tiny thing way more weight in uh, A New Hope. I feel like it was kind of necessary because it kind of shows how Obi-Wan's still kind of struggling to fully let go of Anakin. And, you know, he kind of feels this responsibility to Luke. Like, he feels this responsibility to take care of and watch over Luke. And, you know, Obi-Wan's never really been a kind of parental figure. Like, he was a a father figure to Anakin as a Jedi Master, but, you know, that was when they were in the temple. And he wasn't the only one, you know, raising and training Anakin, so to speak. But whereas he's now in this whole other mindset where it's like, okay, well, I'm not quite his parent, but I'm not really a family member and I can't really make myself known. But because he's so special to me, I feel like I should still try to be involved in his life. So I really like seeing Obi-Wan juggle with like, what's my true role here? And also kind of fighting like especially Owen like fighting for his role like hey I should be somewhat involved in his life if that makes sense and what was interesting to me is when he's watching over him in that one scene they definitely wanted to draw parallels to the Phantom Menace and Jake Lloyd's portrayal of Anakin because he's watching over Luke and it looks like Anakin where he's like you know he wants to be a pilot he's like pretending and the hair color and everything I was like oh yeah he's totally getting flashbacks to younger Anakin and and he's like hmm getting all these memories plus people pointed out because this does happen in the episode and Obi-Wan falls asleep and has nightmares about Anakin and Padme and what's interesting to me is there is a scene this scene a lot of people that only watched the Clone Wars as a series and didn't go any further there is a deleted arc that was officially released but with unfinished animation and in it Anakin and Obi-Wan have a conversation about what would happen if Anakin uh, fell to the dark side or something like that I can't remember the exact words but then Obi-Wan says I don't think I'd sleep very well <laughs> but that'll never happen and then cue the curb your enthusiasm theme because yeah it happened and now he's not sleeping very well at all and he can't seem to let it go, which is probably why he's hiding. I also like how they remembered the conver- the last conversation that Obi-Wan and Yoda had about Qui-Gon, because now we're starting to dip into what some of the books did. In the, in the books, like the Legends books, you know, Obi-Wan is meditating, and he's trying to talk to Qui-Gon. He's like, look, you got to help me. Like, what, what am I doing here? Give me a sign. What am I supposed to be doing? And Qui-Gon's not answering. So I do like that we're starting to get a little taste of Obi-Wan trying to reach out and learn the force. But, you know, in the books, he can never truly reach Qui-Gon because he was so frustrated. He was only thinking about what he would do when he becomes a Jedi again, when the Jedi Order is restored. But he's not truly thinking in the way that Yoda did when Yoda met up with Qui-Gon's force ghost. So I like this little tension And in the books, you know, Obi-Wan eventually gets frustrated and he starts getting mad at Qui-Gon, like, you idiot, why aren't you answering me? Like, this is a waste of time. So as the series goes on, I'm assuming we're going to start seeing Obi-Wan become just a little more angrier and a little more frustrated. But I mean, he's really in this position of he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he's kind of bawling around a little bit. We do a little bawling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but that's a very good point. So I wonder, so it's obvious that at some point we will get some sort of Qui-Gon something, which I'm very happy of because it's what everyone expected and wanted. It's a direct payoff to Revenge of the Sith because that's the last thing we leave Obi-Wan on besides him going to Tatooine and leaving Luke. So, oh man, I, I really hope, they're probably saving that for like the finale or something, but that the conversation they have or whatever happens is is gives obi-wan some like new perspective which 
by the okay so speaking of new perspectives here's something that i was kind of surprised because i thought they were going to do it it felt like everything in this is kind of setting up obi-wan for a new hope so there's the scene where the jedi played by denny safty is looking at obi-wan and and obi-wan's just kind of roaming around on his face camel and then and then he says or he comes up to him and says all this stuff and during that entire scene i'm like oh is this where they show how obi-wan finds out that tuscan raiders are afraid of of the whatever and makes the noise but nah, so I wonder if they'll ever show that. I highly doubt it. It's kind of unnecessary at this point because the story's moved in an entirely different direction. But I don't know. I thought that was uh, interesting if they had shown that because they're setting everything else up. The Qui-Gon, the, the rematch with Vader, the just the general angst that Obi-Wan would be feeling in this angst, time angst. going into A New Hope. So I don't know yeah absolutely I also want to talk about how we're finally getting more of Leia's side of the story like a lot of books have really focused on Leia's side of the story and just her upbringing but when it comes to the movies and the shows she's really not in it too much and you know we never got to explore this relationship that her and Bale and Breha had um and I just love that we get to see like Bale as a father and it's really interesting to see the way that Bale and Leia are compared to Owen and Luke. So like Bale and Leia are like daddy daughter team. They get each other. The scene where Leia's like, I'm not a real Organa and Bale is like, don't ever say that. He's like, he's like, you are my child. You may not biologically be mine, but I love you as if you are. And then in contrast, you know, we have Bet or Owen who's kind of just like, I'm just raising you because it's my obligation. It's not really like he, he doesn't show the same kind of affection that Bale and Briha do to Leia. It almost feels like Owen is overprotective. He even says like something about these kids are really important or, or no, no, no. That's right. It was Bale who's like, oh, Leia is just as important because because yeah. Obi-Wan is so focused on Luke that he has no idea what to do with uh, Leia until he goes and tries to save her and everything so I thought that was really interesting parallel that you just pointed out it's true the the fact that Owen is just like eh whatever like just had to protect this this kid you know treat him like my successor pretty much because Obi-Wan even says he can't live on the farm forever which is pretty much the entire inciting incident in, in A New Hope so I don't know I thought that was really cool it also just shows how Obi-Wan that's his fatal flaw is he's he's okay at letting go of the people he loves but he never truly can get rid of Anakin like he can't he can think that he's let Anakin go he can think that he's done the Jedi way and tried to move on but you know him only focusing on Luke just kind of shows that he can't quite let go of Anakin and it's especially prevalent when he's kind of like brushing off saving Leia like hmm you know, it, it's Leia, she's fine, but it's like, okay, but Leia was Anakin and Padme's daughter too. Like you, you gotta show that, it also just kind of goes into how Yoda is like, Obi-Wan is so force blind. Like Leia is the one who should be the Jedi, not Luke. But I just thought that was a cool parallel. And another thing we get to see that I thought was really cool with this conversation is even though Owen, you know, he's like, ah, Obi-Wan, whatever. When the Inquisitors come to question him, he, he just doesn't say anything. Obviously, he says, oh, it's for my own protection, which is correct. Because if they get Obi-Wan, that leads back to Luke. So he doesn't care about Obi-Wan whatsoever. He's just like, yeah, this guy freaking brings this kid on me and yada, yada. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And now thinking about it, I don't think Obi-Wan ever physically met Owen Lars until Revenge of the Sith. Because it was Anakin who meets up with him in Attack of the Clones while Obi-Wan is stuck in Geonosis. So, yeah, of course they'd have a pretty strained relationship because they're like, I don't know who you are. Like, eh. So, I don't know. It's crazy. Especially because, you know, Anakin did meet Owen and Beru. So, you know, they're looking at Anakin as like, what is he, the stepbrother, stepson? Anakin was, uh, yeah, stepbrother. Stepbrother to Owen, right? Yeah. Yeah, so if anything, Owen's probably looking at it as like a, oh, you know, you kind of did my family dirty with Anakin, so I'm not going to let you do that with Luke also, which, it, which I think is so interesting. 
oh yeah of course he's like oh yeah look at how that turned out like he trained because he doesn't want him to train luke he doesn't want him to do the force stuff which that adds so many layers to a new hope when he's like telling anakin telling anakin and telling luke that he's being silly about oh you're just like your father you don't want to do any of that stuff it's crazy and the reason why is because he knows about all the stuff between obi-wan and anakin and all this other history so oh my god i really enjoyed that stuff and can we just talk about the inquisitors real quick because oh my gosh it was so cool getting to see them in live action so one thing i'm a little bit confused by i don't know why they decided to call sun kang's character the fifth brother because he looks different than the one we're used to because the one in animation is animated so he's obviously like a big dude um like huge and and he has a more of like a beastly figure whereas this one is just like menacing in looks specifically and and he plays him amazing and his voice is also different it's like more raspy instead of big so i really enjoyed that but i do think it's kind of weird that they decided to just call him the fifth brother and just assume that people would be okay with that I mean, we've also seen like some other proportions mixed around, like Ahsoka's uh, Leku in um, in uh, live action being shorter. Which, by the way, quick little thing from Star Wars Celebration, they actually made them longer for the Ahsoka show. So Ooh, yeah, okay. it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess the they're kind of figuring it out as they go along how to balance it in live action. But the other thing was uh, Grand Inquisitor. I thought was actually well played, and they did change his eyes to look yellow. Because in the trailers, people were complaining that they weren't, and they are in the show in Rebels, and here they are. Anyways, we'll, we'll get to the Grand Inquisitor later, I guess. But um, also oh, as for new Inquisitors, so there was the I think it's an Aquilish Inquisitor. No, she wasn't Aquilish. Well, but anyways, there's another Inquisitor we see. She hasn't done anything major yet, but I think she's new. I don't recognize her from anything. And then Reva, the third My sister. Queen. I yeah. fell in love with her the second she came on screen. Like she is intense, she is angry, she has a goal and she is power hungry and she will do anything to get there. And I was talking with our friend Alea who has previously been on uh, This Is The Way cast before and she's just the perfect representation that we've been waiting for. Like we, I've always wanted a black like villain in Star Wars like her and now we have her. She is not following anyone's rules. She's like, this is my goal and mine alone. Well, Vader's goal, but she's making it her own. And I really, I just love the the added like intensity that she brings to the character. That's a great point because something interesting, I was watching the High Republic panel yesterday for Celebration and one of the authors was saying, she's like, yeah, growing up really, I only had like Lando. Uh, and then when the prequels came out, it was Mace. Um, but now with, all the new stuff coming out, I have more characters to look forward to. She was specifically referring to Keeve Trennis in the High Republic, but Reva, I think, is going to be the biggest representation of that. So I really enjoyed that, but here's the thing that surprised me the most. I did not know she was going to be so aggressive from the trailers. I thought she was just going to be like any of the other Inquisitors where they're like very like, (laughs) like like very villainy, but no, she's like, she cuts into that one dude's arm, uh, the Mm -hmm. Benny Safdie Jedi I'm just gonna call him Benny Jedi at this point (laughs) yeah she cuts in his arm and then she chops the lady's hand off and then does all this stuff and the Inquisitors are like oh you're so extreme I'm like what are you talking about these are the tactics you guys used in Star Wars Rebels all the time like that's why I was saying the second episode felt like a Rebels episode because of the tactics she used I'm like that's a Grand Inquisitor thing like come on like she's not following anybody's rules except her own and that's very Star Wars Rebels-esque and you're right, like we really, Star Wars really has not had a lot of Black women in it. And now we're starting to increase representation. And the fact that she is a Star Wars villain and is not following anybody's orders except her own, like following her own path. Like I just, I just love how, I just love the whole portrayal. And yeah. she's going to make such a great villain. And this is something that I'm going to go into a little bit when we get to the second half of this episode, but I found a few parallels that I, I can see them tying Reva's story and Leia together. Uh, I can see them coming together. It's funny you say that because I was about to say something sort of similar. I was about to say that some people have pointed and I, I kind of see it too, her connection to Anakin 
because she she acts like him very impulsive and very aggressive and everyone's like hey you shouldn't be like that but they're on the dark side so you know things work differently there than with the jedi whereas the jedi they gave him a slap on the wrist and told him hey don't don't go too far anakin don't do any wacky crazy dark side stuff whereas here they're already far gone so they're just like uh we're bad so stop being badder than bad so that, that was pretty interesting but i i see that leia connection too i wonder wonder where they're gonna take this because of the second episode so yeah and we'll go into the second episode but we're gonna take a quick ad break stay tuned all right welcome back to the second half of the first episode of our obi-wan kenobi recap season I love this episode. Like, I feel like episode twos get a lot of flack sometimes with the live action shows, but this really was reminiscent of a Star Wars Rebel episode. I loved it. I mean, everything down to like, I'm going to point to a specific episode. I won't remember the name or anything. It's an episode where the Inquisitors are hunting children, like the force sensitive children to recruit them. And which is also reminiscent of an episode in Clone Wars where Palpatine hires bounty hunters to do the same thing. But in Rebels, this episode, they go to this very similar looking city planet and they have this whole fight with uh, Ahsoka. She ends up being the savior of the day. And this planet, Dayu, is pretty similar. We've never seen it before. And they called it uh, reminiscent of Hong Kong, which I thought was very fitting with my boy Sun Kang there. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Being, uh, even though he's, uh, you know, Japanese and everything, it's like, oh, come on. This is, it's very Asian esque, this planet. So, East Asian specifically. So, that was really cool having him march around with some stormtroopers. But the first thing we got to mention, because you, you texted me whenever you saw it, is that Tem has a cameo in this as a. <laughs> homeless clone i really really love that and he's a 501st clone which of course yes. the detail was like so i'm telling you seeing this armor in practical form instead of cgi is just like why wasn't it like this the whole time it's so impressive oh my god i just god. love that that's a detail that they thought of like bad mm-hmm. batch we saw what was happening to the clones they were just getting decommissioned but this is 10 years later we don't even know if the bad batch is still alive we don't know if they're still operating we have no clue. Like at this point, all clones have been phased out and any clone that's remaining is kind of just trying to figure out his way through the galaxy. So I really liked that they had this little detail of a 501st clone. His hair is all grown out and he's much older because of the age um, acceleration. And he's just like, you know, think of the veterans. Think, you know, think of me. And he, he's really not doing too well. That's just, oh, and I really so love that they thought about that. It's so sad. Obi-Wan even gives him money. Like, even though they betrayed the Jedi, Obi-Wan still, like, understands, like, the whole thing. And he was kind of scared, too. I don't know if yeah. he was more, like, frightened as, like, oh, this is a clone. Or if he was more shocked that there were still clones around. And that they were basically thrown away like trash from yeah. the Empire. Because this is 10 years, so you're right. The Bad Batch, like, we don't know what's going on with them, but the clones have been practically decommissioned at this point and this guy's still wearing the armor all the way back from well then from the 501st so that was sad plus i really love the the hair and makeup they put on tem because he didn't look like that's the interesting thing they can do with obviously with hair and makeup in movies in general he does not look like he did in book of boba fett he looks Absolutely a lot closer not. to what he did in revenge of the sith and a lot of it has to do with that they stopped doing like the weird like scarring on his head mm-hmm. that makes his head look bigger in Boba Fett <laughs> so he just looks like normal Tem but you know he has the big beard and and he's doing a lower voice too I really enjoyed the performance it was like oh wow it's seeing my, my boy in other Star Wars stuff ever since he got brought back in Mando I love that and I really hope we see more of it so <laughs> I'm just saying that Tem does not get enough credit like especially after Book of Boba Fett I feel like he got a lot of flack for his performance and his acting. And it's just like, this man has played so many characters in the Star Wars universe that like, he he carries so much of the clone's performance. Like anyone who comes after Tem is like coming after me. I take that personally. (laughs) 
I don't blame you. I don't blame you. He's the guy who made the clones. A lot of people don't remember before Clone Wars. He did all the voice acting for any sort of clones in any video games. It was all Tamuera. And it's like, yeah, like he has the iconic voice. So whenever in Clone Wars, they went with uh, D. Bradley Baker, which I mean, he's just an amazing job. Don't get me wrong. And he's very, very talented voice actor and, and Bad Batch praise all praise to him uh it still was kind of jarring it's like going from tem for all these years and now we're switching and now tem is back so feels like in fact all the people are back i feel like that's very rewarding because genevieve o'reilly is back as mon mm-hmm. mothma she was her in rogue one now she's going to be here in andor and with an expanded role and her scenes from revenge of the sith were completely deleted even though she looks like a clone of the actress who played mon mothma in return of the jedi so people were like hey why would you anyways it feels like all these people that worked on the prequels are just now getting all this this love and attention, like Ahmed Best who played Jar Jar. So yeah, the one thing before we move on from this topic that I wanted to mention, the new intro for the Star Wars shows, I think is an improvement. Not because the, the CGI is just as cool, like the little heads with the red and blue lights. Um, so I really, really loved uh, getting to see the new stuff but specifically there is a bad batch helmet in there i'm pretty sure you noticed that too it's literally like the second or third thing they show and i was like i didn't get it the first time in the first episode but in the second episode i was like that's what that is oh and the mouse droid is a good touch but well there's a there's a bad batch helmet in uh the intro to boba fett too it i think it's hunters and wreckers helmets are in it it Hunter was somewhere yeah, yeah helmets do show up in one maybe of the in the bad batch as well considering that's their show i don't remember that but we're gonna have to look, that we're gonna have to look <laughs> into that but I, I but i did like all the new stuff specifically though the music is so much better in my opinion because the original one was didn't sound like star wars to me it sounded too like too much electronica in it the new one uh is very star wars like the horn the french yeah. horns it's very especially. fallen hero fallen oh yeah hero like yeah. With the horns and the kind of warm but somber sound like it's very much obi-wan music Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I really like that. And the Lucasfilm logo being gold to represent, I guess, Tatooine at this point. Or like like a bronze. I thought that was really yeah. neat. But yeah, the Obi-Wan. Okay, so now we have to talk about, before we move on to the story, the Obi-Wan theme and the uh, music from Natalie Holt. So I was actually kind of thrown off uh, in the beginning flashback scene of episode one because I was like, whoa, the, whoa, 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 like, hold on a second. Because we get the Obi-Wan title uh melody and the the main title coming out of the sand which is that was really cool and then immediately after we're thrown into the slash track scene and the music sounds like very action heavy and like something out of marvel and not star wars and then the rest of the episode and then going into episode two is all very star warsy and a lot of it has to do with the fact that she's pulling from john williams theme that he wrote for obi-wan which i could go on a whole thing about it and i probably will on composing culture because it's very reminiscent of a lot of john williams modern writing style like it's it feels like it's pulling from different places of things that he's written for star wars recently um anyways great theme but she uses it all throughout these episodes and then she even wrote a new motif for young leia i was kind of surprised yeah, i noticed that she didn't go with the original uh, leia theme but cool and then the inquisitors i think have some sort of music associated with them but more specifically i think reva does uh, she's she's yeah, the most important it feels like it's more focused on her and overall i feel like the music just has so much of a stronger presence in this show like i've you know because we've been friends i've always noticed like when there's new star wars music or how the music sets up the show and i was even doing this before we were friends but I especially noticed it in this show that it really just encompasses what you're supposed to be feeling in each scene. Oh yeah, exactly. And that's why I all love to John Williams because this theme is very somber. Like a lot of people with John Williams music, they're kind of expecting like bombastic, very, uh, what am I trying to say? Like just very like magical sounding, like something like Harry Potter, for example. So this this takes more cues from the prequels, which had a lot darker music in general. And I, I really appreciated that because that's that's kind of the point in time we're at. And even another throwback to the prequels and just the Skywalker saga in general, because Obi-Wan is such an important character. The end credits 
uh, are literally just the end credits from the Skywalker saga movies and Rogue One and Solo and all that. It's the, you know, the star background with the blue text. I was like, oh yeah, that, that's, of course they would do that. Why didn't, but yeah, it plays the entire Obi-Wan theme or at least part of it that kind of skips the intro with the uh, horn melody because we get that at the beginning of the show anyway. So yeah, I was, um, I don't know. I'm very impressed overall with the uh, music and of course the visual effects are mind-blowing and the sound design everything you'd expect from show of this caliber at this point in time with with uh disney plus but yeah um i'm just glad to get john williams star wars music this is his last piece of star wars music and i guess just for history's sake i should just um talk about this in the podcast for those who aren't aware so star wars celebration is going on and yesterday was the big Lucasfilm panel where they showed off a, a bunch of stuff. Um, and Ewan, Ewan, <laughs> Ewan and Hayden were there. And it was like a big deal. Even uh, later, they had an interview and Hayden said, this is where the fun begins and the crowd exploded. It was amazing. John Williams, and I predicted this would happen. I knew it was going to happen. John Williams came and premiered the theme to Obi-Wan. I knew that was going to happen. I don't know what hunch I had from previous years where he had shown up. He premiered the theme and then immediately after went into the indiana jones theme and then ended it with the imperial march because it's like a signature of his he always ends concerts with the imperial march but i don't know that was magic to me the fact that he premiered this theme live in front of an audience and it sounded epic on stage because there's a brass chorale in the middle just uh, i mean disney knew what they were doing when it came to releasing the show like they knew that so many people have been waiting so long for this show that they they knew that they had to give up they had to throw us the bone they were like we i feel like a lot of people have been giving disney plus a lot of flack for the way it's handled star wars and the way it's handled some of their past shows which i really hate to hear about because i i just think they've really done a great job i've loved everything that's come out so far so i think they really knew that it's like okay like the dedicated and the loyal fans have really been waiting for this one we got to make it as big as possible Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after last night when they released it early, which I think they they did that specifically to avoid the fans who were at Celebration spoiling it for everyone. Yeah, they released it like right after the fan premiere at Star Wars Celebration. They had a little premiere for people that could sign up for it and they showed the first two episodes and then immediately after they were like, okay, here are the first two episodes for everyone else. And everyone was like, whoa, scrambling to get to watch it. At least that was what I was going through at the time. So it's been a very special few days. That's all I'm going to say until tomorrow, whenever the Mando panel happens in the morning and maybe we get more. Which There was a teaser. So a can I just say that it's extremely cool that we're getting to uh, talk about this on a Friday again? Even though the next few weeks yes. are going to be on Wednesdays, probably it's like this is what it's all about. Like, why don't they just keep this release schedule? I don't understand. But anyways, I just love that. I agree. I do love that we're back on the get excited for Fridays. Like, like we were saying in Waycast a few seasons ago. Like having it on Fridays, it lets us creators like us like still get to talk about it, and it's not a weird jut in the week. And I, I'm just I hope that they continue this scheduling, but we'll see yeah they already announced that andor's coming out on a wednesday so i'm like i give up like this is just sad like but yeah now (laughs) going back to the episode i gotta say i was not expecting a star wars meth lab in (laughs) at all but we got one and then there's an explosion in it too which you know typical of a meth labs especially in media so yeah it was you know there's some spices there do a little spicing we haven't seen that since uh clone wars so i was like oh yeah cool and then we see obi-wan use some spices and then of course i gotta mention i i knew i recognized him but i couldn't quite place my finger on it until i saw the credits flea um flea's in this show he plays the kidnapper like the leader of them yeah and i was like I oh that flea. was that was a that was kind of a shocker it was like oh like hello yeah, I I was kind of taken out for a second. I was like, I knew I recognized him, but I couldn't quite place it. So then I was like, oh, flea. Okay. But yeah, it was fun to see him. He's being goofy. So 
that entire thing with uh, Leia, because she's like very, you know, Leia. She's like, oh, you guys suck. You're going to send an army after me. No and of course, fear. they send Obi-Wan and and he, you know, throws some spice at them. He has a cool little combat scene. And he even, the, the thing that was hilarious is when he, you know, fighting one of uh, Darth Maul's kind and he, he whacks him on the head, like it throws him that down. Was He's like, so funny. And then he starts bleeding. That was funny because it's like, okay, yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute. And Darth Maul never used his head as like a, you know, offensive mechanism. So yeah, he never <laughs> really uh, used his horns. Whereas Savage Oppressed, I feel like was oh, constantly digging oh, his horns from somebody's yes, side. That's right. Yes, Savage was. I mean, it's in his name too. But yeah, he was a little bit more. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool getting to see him you know, fight someone who isn't Darth Maul for a change and then have hand-to-hand combat because, like you said, he's not fully into the Force. Um, And then he's using a blaster a lot, which I'm like, oh, yeah, this is definitely not the Obi-Wan we know because he would have been saying so uncivilized otherwise. Yeah, it's funny to see how, like, almost afraid of his lightsaber and his reluctance to use the Force is there. Because, like, even when he's unpacking his lightsaber and he's kind of holding it, he's just like, you know, it's a part of him. He made it himself and it's, he used it for so long, but now he's like, ah, my, my old friend, uh, <laughs> haven't seen you in a while. And he's, he's just so reluctant and so scared to make himself known. And we're not used to seeing Obi-Wan scared or back down from anything. So it's just so strange and honestly just really sad that we're seeing him in this position like it was like oh poor baby boy (laughs) yeah exactly and so I want to go back to what we were talking about before we shifted gears back into episode one because I I was going off topic but Jedi Fallen Order influence uh, specifically the scene at the beginning when Cal Kestis is helping his friend who's falling off a like a giant cliff or off the ship and he reaches out with the force and grabs him and then a security droid catches him and that's how they contact the inquisitors this is very similar the exact same thing happens i'm like these people just love the jedi fallen order all of a sudden we got a bd droid and book of boba fett and now we get this reference feels like jedi reaching out with the force to catch people is a common theme these days so i don't know i thought that was cool and I'm interested to see why he didn't do that earlier to get Leia to believe him because she was like, yeah. you're not a Jedi. And it's like, he doesn't want to show so many himself, little obviously. instances where like, there were so many instances where he's chasing her and he easily could have just like used the force to like stop her and like kind of bring her toward him or like, you know, hold, you know, just hold her. So it's really funny that he, he's reluctant to even use the force at all while he's chasing her and trying to get her to stop. Like, he could have done even just a little something, and he's like, no, like, someone could see. We, we can't do this. And I want to talk about their interactions. Like, Obi-Wan really doesn't interact with Luke at all and in their time together. Like, in his time on Tatooine, he just goes and watches Luke. He never actually approaches Luke or tries to talk to him or make contact with him, but he's having full-on conversations with Leia and getting to know Leia like the scene where he realizes how much like Padme she Leia is was just really just emo it's just like oh he he's this is his real first interaction with Luke and Leia and you know he's kind of realizing like wow you really are like your parents that's true and I mean his parents his parents the the parents his friends are gone essentially which we get a little bit more on that later in the episode but he he has nothing left of them except for these kids so of course it's like you were saying he sees Anakin and Luke but now he sees Padme and Leia which just getting that shout out alone was so special to me I'm like thank you yeah. for that show writers I feel like um, Padme never got any kind of sh- she never got shout outs in the originals she never got any kind of credits um and so I like that now she's finally getting recognition even after her death which is hilarious because in Return of the Jedi, Leia, Luke and Leia have this conversation. He's like, do you remember your mother? She, he's like, she's like, oh, yeah, a little bit. And it's like, wait a minute. Wouldn't she have like anyways in this show? I guess the, the context is that she doesn't know who Obi-Wan's talking about, obviously. Um, also, one thing that I do want to say, I think it's amazing that Obi-Wan is saying all of this and 
it feels more like a reference to Clone Wars than anything in the prequel trilogy. Because the only time we see Padme doing any of the stuff he's talking about is very little in the first movie and then a lot more in the second movie. Like, for example, she's the one that decides they need to go to Geonosis to save Obi-Wan. But yeah, no, he knows that she's more like that from Clone Wars. I mean, she's heavily involved in that series. So I really like that. And I like that in general, Clone Wars gets a lot of live action love these days so i don't know i really appreciated that little touch so now we got to go to in the very same scene reva telling him that anakin is darth vader some people have taken offense to that because they're like wait isn't anakin being darth vader like kind of the him and the emperor's little secret or something like why would she know unless it's just her and not the rest of the inquisitors know and that's why she has like a thing with obi-wan but well, remember, I have a feeling that Anakin had said something or Palpatine had made an announcement because we know that Palpatine was like, you're now Lord Vader. But I, I, I have a feeling that like Obi-Wan heard the name before. I, I can't remember where I got this inkling. Maybe it was in one of the books when it was like, we've been hearing about this new Lord Vader and this new character, like he destroyed the Jedi. Um, I can't quite remember where. I'm going to have to look this up afterward. But yeah, see, that's interesting. So the last time he hears Lord Vader is whenever him and um, Yoda are looking at the security, the security holograms. You yeah, whatever. yeah he says Lord Vader. And so he knows that that's his name. So whenever he hears Lord Vader, when I bring you to Lord Vader, that's when he clicks with him that, oh, my God. So I found it a little bit weird that then she says, yeah, that's right. Anakin is still alive. And I was like, OK, like interesting but you're right it, it does make sense that if this guy is named lord vader and you know palpatine makes him his right hand man even before he turns into the vader we know now people should know he's anakin it's just kind of weird because we've never had that before especially since luke doesn't know he's his father till like you know way later he says no luke i am your father and so it's like that's why i'm like confused a little bit it's like why would she know so i feel like it's a reva specific thing and not the other inquisitors i don't think they know either and maybe um, but you know reva was at the temple when order exactly, 66 was happening exactly so she mm-hmm. she saw anakin she grew up mm-hmm. with anakin being a presence so she probably saw him at some point and that's how she put the pieces together and the and, archives too like you said yeah, she, she, made she, that she finds out about leia yeah so it like it has been 10 years so they probably you know were really good at hiding the fact that and you know saying Anakin Skywalker is dead and Obi-Wan didn't know that Palpatine went back to Mustafar to rescue Anakin like Obi-Wan thought Anakin fell into the lava and that exactly. was it so I can understand why Obi-Wan is so shocked and so like what the heck because Darth Vader probably hasn't made his like full debut quite yet at least not in the outer rim where Obi-Wan would see. But yeah, so if anything, like it's it's common knowledge to anyone who goes into the Empire, but I think anyone on the outer rim or who's not paying attention to Jedi politics would be like, oh, this this dude's new. Yeah, that's so that, that's my thing. Cause I know obviously he lies to Luke about him being Anakin. So it's just you're right. It, it wouldn't be common knowledge to just random people. Still, and at that point, it's been 19 years by the time Luke, that's well, true. 19 or 22, 20, yeah, something like that. Something years. So at that Empire, point, like, yeah. at that point, that's been all covered up. Yeah, so you're right. It's just interesting because, I mean, all the Inquisitors are dead by the time of the New Hope. I mean, that's not even a spoiler. It's just like, well, unless there's a twist, but we don't know that yet. But yeah, all, most of the Inquisitors are pretty much gone by the time of a New Hope, which is why they're not present at all in the fight against Luke or the rebels at all. Cause they would have dealt some serious blows. So this get, gets us to the, the confusing part. So why she stabs the grand inquisitor, like a chump, like he doesn't even do doesn't anything even, react. He, he doesn't even he, think that she could do that, which is, which really shows how he's underestimated her. Yes. That yes. That's the point of the scene. A hundred percent is to show that he like, underestimated her in a show like she's already been really deceptive the entire episode and this is like the climax of it but as like 
for fans because obviously not everyone has seen Rebels and Clone Wars, but it's like for people that have this scene is kind of like has no weight whatsoever because it's like isn't this guy still alive? Like he dies. Spoiler alert: He dies in Rebels, and yeah. it's like a big Very deal early in the show too. Yeah, because he's the main villain of season one, and so he's like, oh, blah blah blah, yada yada. I'm the Grand Inquisitor, and then he falls to Kanan, and it was like a really clever scene because Kanan parts his lightsaber in half, which they show in this episode too. He cuts Flea's face off or something using the saber, which I really thought that yeah. was cool, even though they cut away from it obviously because it would have been a little bit gruesome um he loves that spin move so then kane is like you know what Beep! and he cuts it in half so i found it weird that that's the clever moment that gets him killed and then this it's like oh you just get think so it's like okay clearly he's still alive right i mean here's my thing though even if he is i feel like that he's they're just gonna stick him in a back to tank off screen and just say Probably, he didn't do yeah. anything for the rest of the show because i mean the trailers didn't show like anything, but they still show a little bit from what I assume is the third episode. And in it, we see a meeting between all the Inquisitors and he's not present. So I'm just like, I'm going to assume they stick him in a back to tank and that Vader uses him as like a be all end all uh, type guy for um, he may even hunt Reva at some point for revenge, obviously. I mean, the other Inquisitors don't know if she's having meetings with them, but I don't know. Something has to give. And uh I just find it super weird. Some people were saying like, oh, this makes Rebels not canon. And I'm like, why would they do that when Ahsoka mentions Thrawn and yeah. Kanan shows up in Bad Batch and all this other stuff? It wouldn't make any sense. The thing is, though, they have been making the books and comics kind of non-canon here and there with different details being changed around. But that's conversation for a different time. So, yeah, Grand Inquisitor getting stabbed is a little bit bizarre for fans of rebels for everyone else it's just gonna be like a <gasps> shocking uh, like oh my god uh, so so it's just funny for like the like the super star wars fans were just like whatever like yeah. cool i guess like she shows off but speaking of reva because i gotta i gotta praise praise something from her episode she she was showing off of them parkour moves this episode that was oh yeah that was so, so interesting <laughs> i was like yo we got some star core going on like there was a random insert shot in first person of her driving onto a pipe, which I thought was random, but I was like, cool, I guess we're going Spider-Man up in here. Um, I don't know. That was really interesting because force parkour is something we've only ever really gotten from the video games. Once again, shout out to Jedi Fallen Order. So getting to see it here, because usually we're just used to them leaping really, really high. I was like, oh, yeah, force parkour. Duh. Like, we've been waiting for this. So, yeah pretty cool and i feel like obi-wan is going to start leaping around soon um once he gets his more yeah, comfortable once again, exactly tuning into the force again mm -hmm. i so i have this inkling and this is another thing alaya and i were talking about is i really hope that the show doesn't end with reva getting killed i don't want her to die i really what i could see them happening or what i can see them doing is drawing parallels parallels on how Leia doesn't feel like she's a real Organa. She doesn't want to be a senator. She doesn't want to be like her parents. Whereas Reva, she's not, they, she's dealing with this, like, I am a real Inquisitor. People don't think she's a real Inquisitor because she started out as a Jedi. And I can see it. It's like, like both of them are having to prove themselves. They're both having to work really hard. So I could almost see them having like some kind of mini heart to heart on what they should be doing and how they should navigate their new paths. But I really hope that the series doesn't end with Reva getting killed. I unfortunately have a hunch now based on the trailers. And I think I may be correct. So I, some of the stuff I said earlier is sort of true in a different way. I'm not going to say any of what I'm thinking here because I feel like it will be a mini minor spoiler for what's going to happen next. People will probably mm -hmm. guess it anyways. But anyways, I... <sighs> Uh, this is why I was saying earlier too uh, this has nothing to do with what I was just thinking this is just an aside about Reva and her dying or not that's why I'm saying I think she's going to be a twist because so far every Inquisitor on screen has died like even yeah. in the comic books they've literally written in Inquisitors just to show a Jedi killing them like in the they Ahsoka don't novel last very long yeah in the Ahsoka novel Ahsoka gets her white lightsabers from killing an Inquisitor so um and stealing his kyber crystal so yeah she 
uh, Riva is um, an interesting case because she's never been mentioned before, uh, the third sister. So it's interesting that she's here, obviously. Um, second sister's in Rebels. Fifth brother's still in Rebels, and he's different looking. And then we get a bunch of Inquisitors, the second sister, in um, Jedi Fallen Order. And spoiler alert for Jedi Fallen Order, she dies at the hands of Vader. So, yeah, there is definitely some uh, leeway with Riva, I think, based on what I'm thinking right now, that <laughs> that no one, oh my, I wish I could say it because it's, it's going to haunt me for the next week or two until they happens because it's totally gonna happen but she's um i think her story is a little bit different especially because she's a runaway from the jedi temple and not like the others were like kidnapped or taken or something like trilla the second sister in jedi fallen order has that whole backstory very tragic where her master leaves her behind and they're both take anyways i will say no more because uh (laughs) Now, one thing that I, I have been asking this question for so long, for so many seasons of Waycast, and after watching these two episodes, I feel like we're never going to know the answer of what happened to Commander Cody. Yeah, we've been saying that since Bad Batch, you know, it's like, where is this man? That's why I was saying earlier, whenever we were talking about Tamora, I'm like, is this them saying like, we can bring clone yeah. tech into the project or is this them yeah. saying, like you should assume that this is what happened to cody like cody had su- especially in the shows cody real really did have such an important role and he's one of the few clones that shows up in live action and in the animated shows so i feel like they can't just gloss over what happened like it when disney plus uk's social media accounts released uh, essential episodes of Obi-Wan that we should watch they literally included Satine episodes so I feel like she's gonna come up in a flashback or in some kind of aspect like she's literally the one who gave Obi-Wan the nickname of Ben so I feel like if they're gonna include Satine they kind of got to include Cody too I feel like and people have mentioned this I think it's it's gonna be something that Obi-Wan mentions specifically uh, I don't know if it'll be a flashback or not but it'll definitely be something like him saying something about her or like, oh, I used to care about someone. And then I have to, I had to learn to move on or cause he moves on instantly. Like he, he lives he up to the Jedi yeah. code in the scene whenever Darth Maul uh, stabs her. So yeah, I'm like leaning more towards them just being a mention, but Cody specifically, it's like, where is he? Like, it's like everyone has said, like Cody's such a loose thread and, Tim, actually, now that you, now that you mentioned him, um, he mentioned this in an interview. I think it was either for Boba Fett or Mando. He was like, "Yeah, I'd love to see some of the the clones back, like Ricks, or Cody." And so it's like, hmm, why would you say that unless you uh, either a watch the show, read a fan theory, or like they've told you about future ideas with those characters? So, anyways, I'm suspicious of that it feels like you can't take any of the star wars actors saying hinting things without like thinking for example hayden keeps talking about i don't think vader's story is finished wink 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 and it's like people have been wanting a vader series as much as they wanted a kenobi series so it's like it stinks because we don't have a tom holland in the star wars universe who will accidentally spoil (laughs) things or accidentally reveal things that he shouldn't and i kind of wish we did but it also just adds to the surprise element like we didn't think Tent was going to show up we kind of thought that you know after Boba Fett that was his that was his ending he may show up in Mando but maybe not so I I'm interested to see like how many prequel people they bring back yeah now that you mention it and now that I'm thinking like ahead the fact that they brought back all these prequel people and the fact that I'm going to say this. So Natalie Portman is in the new Thor movie and she hasn't been in Marvel since the second Thor because she didn't like her time with it. I don't doubt that if they do a Vader show, they're going to announce Padme being back in it and have Natalie Portman in it for flashback sequences with Hayden Christensen. I do not doubt at all that they would do something like that or they leave her as a surprise. But 
if they do a baby series. I think they were going to leave Hayden as a surprise and they announced it. And I think that's what got a lot of people. Yeah, you're right. So I feel like Natalie Portman is too big of a surprise of character yeah like yeah it feels like exactly it feels like a disservice to them because in the comic books vader has revisited her grave multiple times on the boo so it's just important to the story so yeah wink wink hint hint hopefully we get a vader series at some point if not totally understandable i think getting him back at all was huge dub for the star wars community so so glad he's going to be in this which we get his back to tank scene at the end of this so. we do and i'm what i did not i was not expecting him to come in that quickly i thought it was going to kind of be an end reveal arc but I, maybe he's gonna have a bigger role in the show than we thought i mean hayden did say the three words he used for him were vengeful forgot the second word but specifically unstoppable which i'm like yeah! that's what vader's supposed to be like and I've seen some of the set leaks of the fight scenes. We are not ready at all. Like, like when I was saying they, oh, they've man. included the prequel stuff, they are going to go sick of it. Like people have complained that some of the, the modern lightsaber fights in the non-animated stuff has been kind of lame because they wanted to show that in the sequel era and in the original trilogy era, they don't fight the same way as, you know they do in the prequels because the prequels is like the peak of the jedi at their like their highest abilities so we're getting to see that level again because this is the in-between period i mean even in rebels they fought a little bit more like the prequel jedi because kanan was trained in those arts yeah so the fact that we're seeing that in live action again feels like a huge payoff because i i was the reason the sequels are the way they are is because disney was too afraid of doing prequel stuff because they thought people hated them but now they're seeing that the prequels are just as loved as the original trilogy for this new generation, which is us. And then the Clone Wars obviously got its final season and all this stuff feels like all this prequel love is coming in now because people used to complain to the original trilogy fans that the prequel lightsaber fights were too over choreographed and looked too perfect, like dancing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's like kind of the point. And, and like all those people put a ton of work into those fight scenes. So like, that's a dumb complaint. Also, like Ewan was saying is like, when they made the prequels, they made them for, you us. know, us. Yeah. They made it for our generation, but the only voices that they were hearing were for from the original trilogy audiences. So as, you know, we got older, we started having a voice and we started putting out that the prequels really were that good. You know, that's kind of what gave Hayden and Ewan like the, okay, like people really did, like we did good. We just, our audience just, you know, couldn't express their feelings until now. And so I'm really glad that they're finally getting the love for their work, even if it is very much lately due. But I'm very happy that, you know, they're now starting to feel the love that we've had for them all these years. So everything with all that being said, there are a few things that I I do want to say, like, because I felt like they were a bit cheeseball and people were pointing this out. So there are multiple scenes of them chasing Leia and they don't catch her and it's like okay this is a bit ridiculous these grown people i understand like i've seen like trying to chase toddlers is a bit but she's 10 years old and i thought um, of that too but i'm also thinking that reva has their heads in her fist and so i was kind of looking at it as like they can't hurt her if they like touch her in any way they're screwed oh yeah i I knew that was going to get some criticism is the way they chase leia but also they're kind of like we cannot hurt this kid like any scratch on her and we're done even even the my issue though was more with the specifically not not the scene where obi-wan's chasing or anything the scene where the the kidnappers are chasing her is so it looked like something out of a fan film it's just like here's the thing seeing i've seen enough fan films in forests like vague forests and deserts that whenever i see that in live action star wars now it just looks wrong like unless there's like alien plants or something it's like this is just it looked like a fan film them chasing her i was like okay like (laughs) like fans could have written it except they have a way better actress for leia and way higher quality production value otherwise but still that was like okay they just went to like some random forest and uh chase this actor around anyways that was like my main thing so i was kind of surprised because the the show's a show does have a lot of dark themes and the inquisitors are dark but 
Oh, and then Haja as well. He, I liked him, but it was like comedic relief that it's like, okay, so there's stuff here that does make it a little bit more for kids, which is fine. Yeah. It's just uh, interesting because Revenge of the Sith being the third prequel, and even though, yes, it was made for kids and us at the time, it also happens to be the darkest one for a lot of reasons. It's really dark. So I was like, oh, yeah, this show feels a little bit more on the rebel side of things rather than Clone Wars, which... I say that knowing full well that Clone Wars has its fair share of cheese episodes. So something tells me that the tone is going to shift drastically when Vader shows up. But for now, for now, and this has nothing to do with Leia being a kid. I just felt like in general, like some of the writing was a little bit more on like the good for kids type thing. But either way, really excited for the next year. I was really excited for Vader. And I'm just glad we got this show. I'm glad we got new John Williams music. I'm just bring on next week same that's exactly how i'm feeling and quick tease we may have a special guest on this podcast at some point in the coming weeks so that's all i'm saying (laughs) well thank you guys for listening to this special episode of this is the waycast to start off our new season for more star wars content head over to boardwalktimes.net and follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at boardwalk times This is The Waycast is a Boardwalk Times production produced and edited by me and Giovanni Delgadillo and music by Kevin McLeod.